to the book of Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5, and we're going to look at verse number 6. We're going to read some verses there, and then uh, keep your Bibles open. We are going to then go to the book of Luke chapter number 5 and read a few verses there. And uh, I'll give you time to get turned there, and it'll be on the screen on the wall here behind me. If uh, you're uh, uh, turning your pages is a little bit slow. And, uh, but Romans chapter 5, starting at verse number 6, is where we're going to uh, begin here with our text this evening. Once we're there, appreciate you standing for the reading of the Word of God as you are able. And uh, we're going to look here at this. If you're there with me, Romans 5 and 6, would you say amen? The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, and we referenced this this morning, for scarcely a right, for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God, somebody shout, but God. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 27. Turn left in your Bible. There's only only two directions, right or left. So some of you stand there looking, turn left, just keep going. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. If you want to know the heart of God, if you want to know what was God's great plan for humanity, I know and I believe and preach and all of the gospel, all of the word of God, and we can quote John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But you just take a look at these these verses and you're going to see exactly. His mission was not muddied with all kinds of extracurricular activities. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Amen. And I know we may not like to remember certain things, or you may not like to admit it. Some of you believe that you was born with the hymn book in the hand, and you already had a church membership card by the time you was one. God bless your heart. But I'm going to tell you, we were all sinners that needed a Savior. Still to this day, I need a Savior. If I can, for just a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, God's law of attraction. God's law of attraction. Can we pray together tonight? Father, I thank you once again for your word, every promise, 
every place of it that we know you will see that it is fulfilled in its fullness. Lord, I pray and anoint your word tonight upon the hearts and the ears of each and every one that is in this house. That we receive your word, that we apply it. Lord, that we allow the Holy Ghost to come and cultivate the soil of our hearts, O oh God. Break up the fallow ground and let the seed of the Word of God be planted deep inside. I pray tonight that you would help us, Lord, that we could leave this place different than the way that we've come. I pray your help and your anointing. I need you, Lord. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Let me preach in a way that would bring you glory. Father, I thank you tonight for your help, and we trust you. Lord, you're knowing your word will not return void, but will accomplish what it's sent to do. And we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated tonight. God's law of attraction. As I was stating here, we come to find in this, and, and let me say, not in just in these particular passages that I have read to you tonight, <clears throat> but we come to find... As I have heard it said, and as it has uh, uh, one gentleman, one commentator said, that you will find from the in the beginning uh, of Genesis to the very last amen of Revelation, you will find that there is a scarlet thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation, and it paints the picture of God's love for us. And his desire for reconciliation with humanity so that all could be saved. That whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've preached at various times and various capacities and not only me but others before me I know that have heard you have heard this gospel message. We call it the gospel message because it is the good news. The good news of the fact that God, the God of heaven wants relationship with you and I. The agnostic will say that they believe that there is a higher power, but that he is not connected to, nor is he interested in, the daily affairs of the life of human beings. And therefore, I think that's just a sad state of affairs, a hopeless state, if you will, for the agnostic, the atheist who would believe that there's not a God at all. I've often said, in my opinion, it takes more faith to be an atheist than what it does to be a believer. Amen. The Word of God tells us the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. It's hard to look around this great and beautiful earth that He has created and not look and see that there's not a God in heaven. Amen. David had declared and said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? When he looked and compared his life to the vastness of creation, the beauty of the world, he said, How is it that you're interested? in me? How is it that you would be concerned about the affairs and the intricate details of my life? But David went on to later declare he said, in your book my members are recorded. Jesus had declared and said, took it even a step further. He had said this he said, my father he said, he knows the very number of hairs that are on your head. Uh, the Jacob Smith version went on to say he knows how many brother Drew how many hair uh, hairs I left in my hairbrush this morning amen and so I'll tell you this is that all of the things and if I can circle and touch here on a couple of things that we said this morning and what God was dealing with this morning there is not a point or a part or a piece of your life that God is not overwhelmingly concerned with that he is not cognizant of in his omnipotence that simply means he knows everything and everything that he knows he knows everything about you Amen. He knows the hidden parts and places. He knows the good and the bad. He knows 
the ugly. He knows the immature. He knows the good things. He knows what's working for you, what's going good. And he also knows what's falling apart. And in all of the things, and I can assure you, Sister Linda, in my life, there's been enough that should have scared him away. There's been enough that he would have very easily been justified, Brother Michael, to shake his head and walk away and throw his hands up and say, Oh, I got no time for that boy. I got no time for his family. Oh, he just, he can, he's, a, he, I, he's gifted. I'm gifted. I've told you before, I, I possess a great gift. I can take a bad situation and make it worse. <laughs> I, I, I know, I, I, it's just, I promise you, it's just a natural gift God's blessed me with. And uh, you'll come to find it's something that you excel in as well. It's called being human. And in our humanity, there's all of these things and all of the reasons. Every reason, Sister Laura, that I have given God to run away. I have come to find, thanks be to God, that instead of running away, He's run to me. I'm glad that in all the things I made a mess of, Sister June, where He would have said or somebody else would have said, if somebody else would have been God, they would have said things like we say. They would have said that you made the bed, you've got to lie in it, or you did this and so you got to suffer this and whatever the case might be. And there's others that would say that's too much, too ugly, too messy and I'm not fooling with it. But I'm so glad tonight that in all of my mess and in all of my sin where it did abound he showed up and grace did much more abound. In my mess he didn't run away and he didn't wash his hands of me. Oh but I'm glad he didn't turn his back on me and he didn't say you've embarrassed me too much oh but I'm thankful that in his love and his mercy he still came looking for me and he still came running towards me and he still said I'm going to show up and I'm going to love you I'm going to put pieces back together I'm going to forgive you and when the, when the enemy has, de- has declared the death over your life I see potential in you and I'll resurrect you into something that I can put my extra on your ordinary I can put my super on your natural and it's yet to be seen what God can do with those who will yield themselves to him and say Lord here I am in all of my humanity in all of my failure and all of my faults can you do something with me and you'll find time and time again that God shows up and he says yes I will because God's law of attraction is different than ours I began to research this a little bit and let me just say first of all this is not a scientific law you know such as uh, uh, laws of thermodynamics or laws of gravity or laws of of, uh, motion or anything of that nature however this is if you will a Uh, man's idea and we've coined it law of attraction and I just want to read a little bit of this to you here tonight man's law the law of attraction it states this that positive thoughts and actions reap positive rewards now if you just look at that on the surface you'd say well that almost lines up biblically because we know that we will reap what we sow. There's truth in that. The Bible says God is not mocked. What a man sows that's what he will also reap. And it says this, it says you associate yourself with those that can reciprocate such attributes and benefits into your life. This principle sets a precedence that we seek out those who can benefit us. We search out beautiful things. We search out things that we want to associate with ourselves that make things advantageous for us. Now, as you look at this and as reading this, some would say, well, it makes some sense, Pastor, in the sense that I don't necessarily like to be around negative people. Well, neither do I. I kind of get allergic to them. I break out and I itch a little bit and uh, 
I get whelps and I get a little sweat on my brow. Amen. When all you hear is negativity from somebody. Uh, it just, it kind of, doesn't it? It brings a whole room down, don't it? Uh, don't take long. I, I wish that positivity, uh, it spread as fast as negativity did. Amen. I, I, we, we got home and I was going through the messages on the church phone and, and uh, my, uh, my wife was standing there and there was a lady that called and she left a voicemail and she said, Pastor, I just wanted to say thank you to the church for the blessing boxes. She said, I was in line that day and I received groceries and it was a blessing to our family and I and, uh, just wanted to call and say thank you. And boy, Brother Jimmy, that warms your heart. And I kid you not the next voicemail was from another lady and the lady said pastor I'm calling with a complaint I'm calling with the complaint and she told me what she didn't get and how come she didn't get it and all that kind of stuff. And we stood there and just kind of laughed. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. Free groceries, free gift card, free chickens. It don't matter. You ain't ever going to make everybody happy. Amen. Somebody's going to find a reason to be upset. But I wish that positivity, that it spread as quickly as negativity does. And there are some that would say, well, Brother Jacob, is it wrong to want to associate yourself with around positive people, like-minded people, people where there's commonality? No, we find it throughout humanity. That is where it, uh, there's, uh, that's why there's various groups that come together and, and cultures and all all these things that are formulated and I'm not going to go into all the history of humanity as we look at this but I will say this that in the natural it appeals to man to seek out things that are beneficial to us. It appeals to our flesh and our carnality that we are around people. As a matter of fact as we sit in this very church tonight and we profess the love of God and we profess that we follow after him there are many of us in these pews you know good and well that you only really love certain people that you feel like deserve your love amen there are those around you as to where that you are going to serve them or do for them maybe if it only opens door of opportunity to where that is reciprocated back to you. Now I'm not going to beat you up or rake you over the coals because that attitude, that heart, it appeals to the flesh and the carnality. It feels good. And we like to search out beautiful things, beautiful people, beneficial situations, all of those different types of things. But let me remind you of this. God challenged us through his word. Christ said this. He said, if you love those that only love you back. He said, what reward do you have? There's no reward in that. You've already got your reward. That's what it is. He said, I'm going to challenge you to love on some folks that don't love you back. He said, I'm going to challenge you to serve some people that aren't going to say thank you. I'm going to challenge you to give groceries to somebody that will call you and say, I've got a complaint. Come on here. Come on, somebody. You know what I resolved in my heart? Somebody's grabbing the pew right now and say, don't tell me you resolved for a thousand boxes. No. No. Simmer down. Simmer down. I'll tell you what I have resolved, Brother Tobin. I know there's people in need. I love when they would come through and give you a thank you. Tell you how much it meant to them. A phone call. But I decided last night. I said, you know what? We'll do blessing box as much as the Lord allows us to do so for every one of the complainers. Every one of the haters. Every one of them that won't say thank you. Every one of them that says the chicken's too small. Or they don't like brownie mix. Every one of them that said, I wanted three cans of corn instead of one. Every 
everyone that's got a complaint. I'll tell you why. Because there's something that builds character inside of us and causes us to be more like Christ. When we can serve, when we can love, and when we will pursue those who can do nothing for us in return. Hear me. Some would say, why make such an investment if they won't even come to your church? Because it's not about packing out the building. Come on here. I'm not trying to bribe somebody in the church. I want to do something for some folks, amen, who maybe some just don't deserve it. Maybe some who aren't going to appreciate it. I want to love on some people who aren't going to love me back. I want to take care of some folks to where I'm not going to get one thing in return from them. We come to find, what am I explaining to you? I'm explaining to you God's law of attraction. I'm explaining to you the way that God works. Humanity says, surround me with all the advantageous, all of the benefits, all of the things that make my life better, all the people that make me better, all the people that there's never any conflict because we're all just alike. Surround me with the people that are loving and kind and generous with their words. Surround me with people that will praise me and I'll praise them. Surround me with people that will give to me and I'll give to them. That is man's law of attraction. However, tonight, church, we're talking about a kingdom mindset. We're talking about what God's Word declares. We're talking about the fact in that while we were yet sinners, God commendeth His love towards us. I was not righteous. You were not righteous. I wasn't good and neither were you. But aren't you glad God said, hang on a second. I see him. I see her. I'm attracted to that mess. I'm attracted to that one who can't do anything on their own. And I'm going to go seek them out. I'm going to go love on them. I'm going to pour out the grace of God. I'm going to bring them into the family of God. Hallelujah. God's law of attraction. There are those who are attracted in the religious world. They are attracted to the size of the church complexes. How big is the church? How great is the fellowship hall? Is there a gym? Is there great amounts of property? How nice is the van? How good is the bus? There are those who want to see big majestic choirs. I'm not at all saying there's anything wrong with having buildings that you're blessed with or a nice church vehicle to drive. A choir that can sing like angels. Oh, there are those that maybe they want to know what programs there are. Programs for the singles. Programs for the elderly. Programs for the children. Programs for the youth. And I have nothing against a program. I have nothing against serving and meeting the needs of specific groups in the church. However, there are those who are only attracted to the things of God as long as it benefits. I have seen families that would come into a place. It could be a small church. It could be a country church. It could be a church down on membership, whatever the case might be. And I've seen Sister Linda where one thing was for sure. The power of God was in those churches. The presence of God was real. And there were families that could not deny that fact. They could not deny that God was there. They could not deny that the gospel was being preached. But I've seen them take a look around and say, well, there's nothing here for my kids. There's nothing here for us. I wish there was more this and I wish there was more that. I wish there was more people. I wish there was more outreach. I wish there was more program, whatever the case might be. They were attracted, Sister Laura, not to a presence but they were attracted to an idea of religiosity they were attracted to an idea of what would be conducive to who they were they were attracted only if there was something that could benefit them God help us tonight I pray in this house that if tomorrow God said shut down 
down golden teens. Shut down widows of uh, the uh, ladies of grace. Shut down youth. Shut down kids connect. That there would still be people that say it doesn't matter if we meet in the back. It doesn't matter if we eat at Castle Hall. I'm here for the presence of God. I'm here to be surrounded by his glory. That's what attracts me. I thank God for Kids Church. I thank God for Aaron and Kara. I thank God for Corey and Haley. I thank God for Shannon and Laura and Karen and Amy and these on Wednesday nights. I thank God for Gary. I thank God for Sister Linda Rich. I thank God for all those who are co-laborers and serving in these places. But I'll tell you right now, at the end of the day, fellowship is great. Good food is wonderful. But that is not nor should it be the premise by which we are attracted to God's house not by TV lights not by the size of the tabernacle not by any of these things but God turn our hearts again to you just give us a word give us your power give us an altar and we will be just fine hallelujah We'll be just fine. In our humanity, in man's law of attraction, we are attracted to entertainment. We want to be, we want a show put on. Have you noticed the terminology now in churches? They don't talk about the platform, they talk about the stage. I know, and there's even been times that interchangeably I've used that term, not meaning a sign of disrespect. And I know others maybe in here haven't either. However, I will tell you that there is a difference between stage mentality and a platform of ministry. Come on here. There's a difference. You can get mad or been out of shape if your kiddos don't get to go back on a Sunday morning because the power of God falls in the church. And I'm not saying this because I've had a parent complain. So don't sit around thinking, well, I wonder who said that to him. Nobody said it. You might have thought it, but you didn't say it. Amen. You might sit around and say, well, my babies, they didn't go to get to go to kids' church today. They didn't get their sucker. They didn't get to see the, they didn't get their Bible story. But I'm going to tell you something. That's man's law of attraction. God's law of attraction is when there's babies around this altar, when there's young people praying, when they can recognize, Brother Drew, the presence and power of God, even at six and seven and eight years old, I will tell you, that will save their soul. Not how many corn dogs we can feed them on a Friday night. Hear what I'm saying. We have been attracted to a bunch of mess, a bunch of fluff, and a bunch of junk. But God, give us your law of attraction. Let it be. Let us see the beauty of your holiness. Let us long for your glory. Let us pray for your presence. Let us hunger for your righteousness. Oh, the things that God is attracted to. Listen, you can go in less than 10 miles radius from this very address. And you will find 10 different churches, 10 different styles of worship, 10 different whatever's going on, I promise you. Now I'm prejudiced and I'm partial because I believe I pastor the greatest church in the world. I just believe that. However... There's other great churches. There's other Bible-believing, spirit-filled churches. But I will say this. We must pursue the things that God's attracted after because there's people within a 10-mile radius that they might show up for a show. They might show up because there's good singing. They might show up because the lights are cool. They might show up because they got a youth group of 200 kids. They might show up because their kids' ministry has a McDonald's playground inside of it. Come on. Come on here. 
They might show up for whatever the case might be. But there are those that can show up. And they are a part of an attraction. They are a part of a spiritual theme park. But they are empty. They are leaving with the same sin plaguing their life. They are leaving dead and calloused and cold. They are leaving, living in darkness. But the things that God's attracted to. And when his presence rests inside of a house and upon his people I promise you every single time the sinner can be saved the addict can be delivered the sick can be healed the empty can be filled those on the brink of falling apart can be put back together because that's what God specializes in that's what he does God wants us to understand what attracts him and why the body of Christ is called to do what it does. Called to do what it does. God is not impressed by the complex's choir's supposed anointed megastars in the pulpit. Church junkies are attracted to that. Church junkies will hop from place to place and never put roots down. Church junkies listen to a thousand different preachers in the week. You ain't going to hurt my feelings. I just feel sorry for you. He preaches 45 minutes to an hour. But yet you accumulate 60 hours in the week of everybody you listen to. Come on here. Church junkies... We'll go where the church is the biggest. The choir is the greatest. There are those who are addicted to acclaim. There are those who are addicted to personality in the pulpits. Doesn't matter whether or not they're telling you the truth. You're, you're, you're addicted to personalities. You're addicted to who you vibe with. You're addicted with who you think serves your need the best. We have gotten away from praying God's will for our family, where we are planted, where we are growing, where we are staying. I thank God for the gift of the technology of social media. I thank God for the gift of live stream, but it has hurt and it has impacted in a negative way as well where there's people and churches and pastors and congregations that are full of comparisons some that are sad and depressed because they're not as big and great as somebody else others who say well our preacher don't preach like this one and that preacher don't preach like that one we find ourselves enamored and we're chasing after things that are appealing after things that we are attracted to but I believe God wants to shake the church one more on the very precipice of his coming as he stands at the very door I want you to know and realize it doesn't matter what peace negotiations are going on in Israel it doesn't matter how many hostages are let go everybody was shook up for a little bit looking for Jesus looking in the eastern sky because everything was happening brother and sister you better not quit looking you better not quit praying you better not quit pursuing God's presence because in an hour that you think not Jesus declared he said they will cry peace and safety he said but then destruction will come suddenly Hear me, hear me. Everybody gets riled up for a season. Everybody gets attracted to the things of God for a little bit. And then our attraction begins to wane. What benefits me? What's good to me? What do I like? What do I want? We treat the things of God as if we're at a buffet. We treat the things of God as if we're shopping at our favorite stores. You don't like that when you go to the next one. Let me tell you something. This is not even, even in my notes. But I'm going to tell you right now. Is that you will never find stability. Your children will never find stability. Your home will never be blessed with the very essence and presence. And the peace of God that is provided in, plant, in growing right where God has planted you. Hear me. Hear me, we are attracted, we are inundated 
There are those church junkies count numbers. Church junkies are obsessed with pulpiteers. I don't know about you, but I just don't want to be a church junkie. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be known as somebody hopping from one place to the next. I don't know about you, but I don't want to every time something doesn't go my way, I'm going to tuck tail and run. I don't know about you, but every time it's not going my way and life is imperfect and life is stressful and things are hard, I'm sick and tired of hearing the saints blame God for everything that's went wrong. I'm sick and tired of hearing people say they can't serve God anymore because they don't have this and because they can't do that and because this one and that one or whatever the case might be. It's heartbreaking to me when there are those who are convinced that they are going to allow the attitudes and the words and the hearts of other people dictate whether they go to heaven or hell. It breaks my heart that there are those that God has gifted and equipped to serve in ministry, but you can't serve in ministry because you're not consistent, because you're not faithful, because you're not prayerful. Understand. Oh, you'd say, Brother Jake, what's that mean? There are those, there are people, there are churches and there are pastors. They will employ you. They will put you on their platform. They will let you teach their kids. If you're funny, if you're talented, if you put enough money in the plate, they don't care about anointing. They don't care about your prayer life. They don't care about whether or not you're faithful to God's house. But I'm going to tell you, it is not your pastor being a stick in the mud. All I'm saying is, God, I want people who are attracted to you. I want people that will serve. I want people that will live. I want people that will worship based off of an attraction to the things of God. God's law of attraction. Oh, he said and gave us this promise. If you draw nigh unto me, I will draw nigh unto you. I want to remind you tonight that long before, and I know it's terminology. I know sometimes we say things without understanding the essence of it. But let me remind everybody very carefully and very cautiously. I understand your testimony and I understand what you're saying when you found the Lord. But let me clarify something. You didn't find Him. He found you. He sought you out. Come on here. The first person that God's attracted to is the backslider. The lost. Those that are without him. You see, we sit in the church and we get very pious. We get very self-righteous because of our goodness. Because of our religious bearings. Because of our moral code. Because of our spiritual standards. Because we have tithed all of our life. Bless God. Hallelujah. Because daddy was a preacher and mama was a teacher and papa was a deacon. We've got credibility and credence. But I'm going to tell you beyond your pedigree, beyond your resume, before you could ever do anything good. God was looking for you and he was drawn to you. When there's things in your life you wouldn't dare stand up and testify about. You wouldn't dare talk about because you and 15 other people would turn red-faced. There's some of you would say, Pastor, if you knew what I did, who I was, where I'd been, you probably wouldn't even let me sit in this church. But I'm going to bring you some comfort from the pulpit to the back pew. We were all there. Oh, I know I'm going to offend somebody because somebody said, but I was a good kid. I was a good boy, a good girl. Oh, but the Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. Don't let a suit fool you, Brother Jimmy. I went and visited Brother Lucas this morning. I walked in. He said, Pastor, you smell good. I said, thank you. I took my monthly shower. Come on. I can press my shirt in the morning. I can put a tie on. I can comb my hair. I can spritz a little smell good on. And I was in the elevator and one lady said, Sir, are you a doctor? I said, not of the physical kind. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I do help those who are in need of some things spiritually. I said, I'm honored to be a pastor. 
She said, oh, she says she shared with me a prayer request that she had. I said, we'll pray for you. But they could think, say, well, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer. Look at you, Anna. Your coworkers could say, look at your life. It's all coming together. How perfect and how beautiful. But I'm going to tell you, God saw all of this while you were yet a sinner. While you was a backslider, when you were running from God, when you didn't want nothing to do with God. Sister Laura, back when you thought everything your daddy preached was a nuisance, he was just trying to hold you down, not letting you live your life, not letting you be what you wanted to be. Oh, in a time when we were all lost and undone, God said, I see you running. I see where you're at, but you ain't going to outrun God. He said, I see where you're hiding. I see the darkness you're in. But he says, peekaboo, I see you. Hallelujah. Oh, when we were in the worst pits and prisons, I'll tell you, Brother Keith, God said, I'm going to hunt that boy down. I'm going to love on him. I'm attracted to him. I want to I show him the mercy and goodness. I want to turn his life around. I want to show him what will happen when they will give their life to me. There are some of you, there are some of your children, some of your grandchildren, and some people you love. They signed the divorce papers with God a long time ago. You hear me? Somewhere a long time ago, they might have signed the divorce papers and says, I want nothing to do with church. I don't want nothing to do with God. Some of you know it because some of them have been brazen and bold enough to tell you to your face. Don't want anything to do with God. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to be my own woman. I'm going to do my own thing. We got, I know preacher's kids and ministry kids. and I know today there are some... Some of you, you're sitting here, you raised your children on these church pews. And tonight, they're lost. Tonight, they're backslid. Tonight, you're wounded. Tonight, you're hurt. Tonight, even though it's their choice, there's parts of you, you're embarrassed. There's parts of you, the enemy wants you to feel shame. He'll tell you you didn't do enough. He'll tell you that you weren't consistent enough. He'll tell you all the things. He'll point out all your faults and failures. Is there any other parents besides me and Sister Carolyn that there are some nights you just lay your head down and say, I am the worst parent in the world? It's just us, baby. Nobody else. Please, would you put on a parent counseling clinic for us? We will pay you good money. Is there anybody else that ever just feel like you're the worst spouse? Ever feel like you're the worst at whatever it is? Because the enemy says you are absolutely nothing. A failure. Look at the fruit. Look at these things that are going on. You might have children who have declared and proclaimed that they want nothing to do with God. You have some that maybe are involved in lifestyles. They are involved in different things that are far from what you taught them. They are running hard and they are running fast. But I want to tell you, Mom, I want to tell you, Dad, I want to tell you, Spouse, I want to tell you, whoever you are, listen to me. And even if you're in this house and it's been a while since you've been in this house, it's been a while that you've been in His presence, you're not here by accident. You see, God found you. God drawed you. God, I don't even know if that's a real word, drawed, but it's a southern Missouri word. God drawed you. Hey, man, it's a hillbilly word, and I'm going to use it. He drawed you into his house. He drew you. Hey, man, Sister Anna, that day you came into the house of the Lord, and only tears could be falling from your face. It wasn't a preacher, and it wasn't the music. It was the Spirit of God who said, I'm attracted to the back." slider. I'm going to seek them out. I'm going to pursue them. <laughs> Jeremiah 3 and 14. Listen. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Listen to this. For I am married to you. You know what this does for me, Brother Drew? It gives me 
so much hope for those that are on the run. They could have grown up and sat in the church, the same church, went to the same places, the same youth camps, whatever, and they could be on the run. And like I said long ago, they thought when they abandoned the house, they thought when they got addicted, they thought when they had done enough things and enough bad things to separate themselves and Brother Tobin, they said, we done signed the divorce paperwork. I'm not, I'm not with the Lord. I'm not one of His. I heard, I, I read an article. I didn't hear it. I read an article and it said that Ozzy Osbourne, I don't know if some of you know who he is. Some of you do. Amen. If you didn't know who he was, you're better off without it. I'll just tell you that. But, uh, but Ozzy he Osborne, he made the statement I'm coming over here by Brother Michael because Brother Michael back in the day there's pictures to prove it He, he uh, before he came to know the Lord he was playing that bass guitar in bar rooms, had his hair grown out wore the glasses they, 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 everybody told him it looked like Ozzy Osborne, and you look at the pictures and he did, I'm so glad Brother Michael you ain't Ozzy anymore I'm so glad you're a child of the king on that platform now, it ain't a bar room stage, it ain't it ain't cigarette smoke and beer and winos. Oh, but he's in the presence of God. Oh, he's serving the Lord. Oh, but I'll tell you, I read an article just two days ago, and Ozzy Osbourne said, because of the physical infirmities he's been through, he said, I do not fear going to hell. He said, I don't fear it. He said, I've been through hell. Back pain and surgeries and everything else. And I thought, sir, you have no idea what hell's going to be like. He's the self-proclaimed prince of darkness. He said, I don't fear hell, but I promise you this. If he doesn't get his life right with God, he will be just like Lazarus who said, I just want one drop of water on my tongue. You hear what I'm saying? And I say all that to say this, as there are people who can be bold and brazen. There are, I've talked with those who grew up in the church who said, I'm on my way to hell. There's nothing that can be done about it. I've divorced God. I'm separated. I'm so far gone. But Sister Brenda, here's the good news. It's the last I checked. You know what God did when the divorce papers were served to him? He put them right back in the mail. He said, I ain't signing that garbage. I ain't signing that mess. It don't matter, Eddie, how many drugs you take. It don't matter how addicted you are. It don't matter how many people you robbed or lied to. He said, I'm not signing the divorce paper. He said, I'm married to you. He said, you're a backslider and I'm not going to let you out of my sight. Oh, can I tell you, there's nothing like when God puts a hook in somebody's jaw and reels them in. He is attracted to the backslider. Hallelujah. So if you think your family, your loved one, your sibling, your child, whatever the case might be, is without hope, I want to let you know tonight, loud and clear, God is attracted to them. Because he don't look at us and say, what benefit can they give me? I couldn't give God anything. And he found me. He sought me out. He said, I'm not here for those that are well. Why, Jesus, do you eat with the publicans and sinners? Why do you eat with those? They don't keep religious laws. What? They're a bunch of crooks. They're this, they're that. He said, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for those who are sick. I came for those that were hurting. He came. He's attracted to the backslider. I want to tell somebody else that he's attracted to the bruised. He's attracted to the bruised. What do you mean? You see, an, a bruise is an indication of a wound. A bruise is an indication of a hard fall. A bruise is an indication that you've made contact with something that have left you broken or wounded. And it's evidence of it. I was with Brother Coleman. We were passing out flyers in the apartment complex for the blessing box. I was with him at the house of a particular family. And the woman who came out to greet me. Both of her eyes. They had been recovering for several weeks. But still very swollen. Looked like she got in a boxing match. Brother Coleman had been having conversation with this family. We got in the car to leave. And I said, 
has she had a surgery or did something happen? I said, did she get beat up? He said, she got beat up. Somebody jumped on her, attacked her. He said, it was worse than that. <clears throat> the swelling and the bruising was an indication of conflict. It was an indication that somebody took out their aggression on her. It was an indication that she was not handled carefully. And see, the thing about bruises that happen in our lives spiritually, Sister Gloria, is not everybody can see them. We've done a good job of covering some up. We know all the songs, and surely if they're singing and praising, surely if they're playing an instrument, Brother Keith never has had any bruises in his life. Look at him. He plays the guitar with excellence. He's well put together. Surely he's never had a wound in his life. He's got charisma, he's got talent, all of these things, everything's going. But the truth of the matter is, and he could tell you there's many a times the bruises have been covered up. And not just him. I can preach to you nearly all 52 weeks of the year. And there's times, there's bruises. You wouldn't know it. I can be good at covering some things up. You can too. We're masters of covering up. We're masters of not anybody wanting to see our bruises. The evidence of a wound. But yet, here you are. And yet, there's some wounds. And yet, there's been contact. There have been circumstances, there have been people, there have been things from your past, there have been some things that have caused bruises in your life. Have you ever noticed that a bruise gets hideous before it gets better? It starts out maybe solid purple, blue, or black, but when healing takes place, it takes on a plethora of colors. Yellow, blue, purple, or just a mixture. And it looks worse before it gets better. And there are some, and that, that woman that we were talking to, she was at that point. I mean, her face, it just nearly looked like rainbow. I mean, just across her face. And when Brother Coleman said she's better than what it was, this was X amount of weeks ago when it happened. I thought, oh, my God. And here she was, but she was at the point, Brother Michael, that it looked worse, but it was healing. Have you noticed that when it's looking the worst, that's when we're embarrassed the most? Have you noticed that when the bruise is sometimes healing, that's the point in time where we really want to hide because it's just really looking bad. Or we look at it and may not realize that I am healing, that God is doing something, but Brother Jake, this bruise is so ugly. This hurt is still there. It's still tender to the touch. When is it going to change? Oh, God surely is not attracted to my life because it's covered in bruises. Because when I talk about a colorful life, we know that is not always a good connotation. But that speaks often of somebody who have been in multiple messes, multiple conflicts, multiple things they're ashamed of, bruises all over their life. And sometimes we are convinced that God can't heal those hurts. But I want somebody to know that the ones, oh, Sister Sandy, she decided to do cartwheels in her living room. Oh, was at your sister's house, wasn't it? At Sister Linda's, jumped the fence, and she carried a bruise on her face. Long time. Did Brother Steve even dare to try to tell you, boy, you sure look her up for a corn cob today. Did he ever say that? He would have been wearing a bruise, right? You know why? This man loves you. And it didn't matter the bruise. He was still attracted. He said, I still want to be near you. I still love you. 
I'm still compelled to be near you. There are some that you think that your bruise is so bad that God wouldn't want anything to do. But God says, no, 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 no. He says, I'm looking for you. He says, I want to be near you. He says, if you'll let me, I'm just going to sit right down beside you. I'll put my arms around you. I'll tell you that you are my own. A bruised reed, he shall not break. And a smoldering wick, he shall not extinguish. What does that mean? That plant, I was talking about the reeds that grow in the water, but if you look just that plant, sometimes we got a plant that the church sent our family when Papa passed away. It has survived in the Smith house for two years. You ought to shout now, that's a miracle. There are times if that plant could talk, we have it at the kind of the bay window area in our kitchen where the sunlight comes in. And right now it's standing tall and green. But there's been some times that I haven't been faithful to tend to it. And it got droopy. And it watched me as I went over and put water in the coffee maker. That Keurig ain't going to run dry, baby. I promise you that. I'll go drill a hole in the ground if I've got to get water. And there I am filling it up, and that poor plant's over there probably cussing me out if it could. <laughs> Saying, I sure would like some of that. But every now and again, Sister Anna, I'll look over. I say, oh, man, it's getting droopy on me. And I'll go over, and, but I don't, Sister Haley. I've never picked it up and said, you good for nothing plant. I'm just going to throw you out the door. Uh-uh. I'll go over, and I'll pour a couple of bottles of that purified water in there. I've gotten a damp paper towel, Sister Shan, and I'll go over, and I'll wipe its leaves, love on it, talk to it. You think I'm joking. I'm not. And you know what happens? Little bit of water, little bit of love, little bit of sunlight, couple hours. A bruised reed, he will not break off. A smoldering wick, the last flickering flame of a candle, he will not extinguish. God is in the business of being attracted to the things that need resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. He says, I'll restore you. I know you're bruised. I know you're been over. I know it's been painful. It's been colorful. I know there's a lot of things that maybe right now you're ashamed of and think you don't even want me to see that. He said, but I am attracted to the bruised. Sister Carolyn, if you'll come. The backslider, the bruised, and the broken. There are some that maybe would say, Brother Jake, I wish I was just slumped over. But if I can be honest, there's parts of me that's been shattered into a thousand pieces. There's parts of me I wonder if I'll ever be made whole again. When we were children, we learned the nursery rhyme about Humpty Dumpty. Who sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men. Could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. That's what it says. I wish Humpty Dumpty could have known my king. I wish Brother Michael he could have known. Because you see sitting in this very tabernacle tonight I'm looking at lives that at one point you were absolutely shattered and God said I'll take those fragments if you'll relinquish them to me he said I'll begin to piece it all together I can make you better than new I can do things with broken pieces that would astound you your evidence of it your testimony of it 
I want somebody else in this house to know that no matter how broken. Psalms 34 and 18 says, the Lord is nigh. He's close to. He's attracted to those that are of a broken heart. And saveth such that be of a contrite spirit. Psalms 147, 2 and 3. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. Listen to this. He gathers together the outcast of Israel. He heals the broken in heart. And binds up their wounds. Psalms 31. 9 through 12. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye is consumed with grief. My soul and my belly, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially amongst my neighbors. And a fear to mine acquaintance. They did see me without and fled from me. He says, I was such a mess, I was so broken, I was such a reproach. He said that there was nobody who wanted to do anything with me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. There's one. When everybody else ran out, there was one who ran in. When everybody else abandoned, there was one, Sister Morgan, that loves. I want you to understand tonight, man's law of attraction is based upon the premise of how advantageous other relationships are and what other people can do for us. But God is attracted to those who can offer him absolutely nothing. He's attracted. He's attracted to the backslider. He's attracted to the bruised. He's attracted to the broken. With every head bowed. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. And Lord, tonight you know every heart. All of us can testify and we know what it is to be in all of these places. Some of us in various places or capacities of these very thoughts. Lord, tonight we may not look attractive to others. We may not be able to offer anybody else anything right now. There are some of us, Lord, that we're running on empty. There are some of us, Lord, we're so embarrassed. All we see is fault and failure in our life. All we see is bruised and brokenness. We hang our heads over backslidings, compromises. There's times we've run as hard and as fast and as far away as we could get from you. But you keep pursuing. You still come looking for us. You're still attracted to us. And Lord, tonight I pray you would remind every heart in this building. Whether it's us in and of ourselves, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's situations beyond our control. And we don't quite know how this is all going to work out. I pray that you remind, I pray that you remind each and every person under the sound of my voice that your law of attraction is far different on a completely different end of the spectrum of man's law of attraction. When we are at a place when we have nothing to offer, when we are at a place where we're broken, we are contrite, we are bruised, we aren't everything that we need to be. I thank you, Lord, that you haven't given up on us. And, Lord, I pray tonight that the Word of God pulls somebody up out of that pit. I pray tonight that somebody, under the sound of my voice, realize the value that you see in them. To realize there's nothing over till God says it's over. To realize there is still beauty for ashes. To realize that you still bring joy in times of sorrow 
to realize that you still put pieces together. You gather us together. I thank you for it, Lord. I'm going to ask you tonight in this house. It might be you personally. It might be in the course of the preaching of this message that there's somebody you love that God's put on your heart. And maybe tonight there's a renewed sense of urgency to prayer, a burden to call them out before God, realizing that God is going to trace them, track them. He's looking for them. As a matter of fact, He knows right where they are. And He's reaching and compelling and drawing. I want you to know tonight His law of attraction. It's greater. It's greater than the sin maybe that they're involved in. It's greater than the divorce that they've tried to ensue with God. It's greater than their bruises and it's greater than their brokenness. If that's us tonight, I'm going to ask, why don't we come find ourselves a place around these altars tonight? Can we come and just seek His face? Would somebody come tonight? Maybe it's on behalf of your family. Maybe it's on behalf of somebody you love. Maybe tonight it's for you. Oh, but you would say, Lord, tonight. Lord, tonight I'm calling out. Lord, tonight I'm thankful that you're attracted. Oh, to those, those that would be a backslider. Those, Lord, that are broken. Those, Lord, that are bruised. Oh, tonight we give you thanks that your love, it's never-ending. It's overwhelming. Lord, would you draw? Lord, would you draw? Go ahead, ladies. Hallelujah. Lord, would you help us tonight?